you, and Aaron, I know that you know the difference between Mickey and Sarah. Well, as has already been said, we need to be lifting up our ladies who are off in retreat and pray for safety as they come back. And as I look around the room, I'm seeing a lot of fathers with small children that are missing. I wonder where they might be. Well, it's a joy to be here, and let's now pray for our kids and for the upcoming events. Our Father, we come to you today just so thankful, Father, for all that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the ladies in our church, and Lord, for the blessing that they are in our lives. And we ask, Father, that in a wonderful way, Father, that you'd be with them as they're finishing up their retreat this weekend. We ask, Father, that you would bless them and encourage them, Father, that you would, would enable them to leave their coming home today, Father, with just a new sense of who they are in Christ. And, Father, with a desire to walk with you and to serve you, bring them home safely, we ask. Father, we do look forward to tomorrow and the Family Fun Fest. Father, such a fun time for everybody. And Father, we ask that you would just bless that time of fellowship and interaction together. We pray, Father, for the harvest of first fruits coming up, and ask, Lord, that you would enable us, Father, to prepare for that, and Father, that you would use us, Father, to not just pass out baskets for Thanksgiving and to serve a meal, but Father, that we'd be able to connect with men and women and children and teens, and Father, that you enable us to share the gospel. Father, we thank you for the book of Colossians, and Father, just for the, the powerful book that it is. We ask, Father, that you would just give us hearts, Father, to hear your word. Father, enable me, Father, to clearly communicate your word. Father, may we leave here today with a strong sense of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you will open up as we continue our series in Colossians, looking today at Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read the first four verses. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, or your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Well, the story told of two couples that were having a, a Bible study. They were studying Colossians. And one of the women says, Well, Alan actually died to sin, but I have felt very faint once. I know that the Bible says that I'm dead to sin. And if you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. But I don't feel it. And I'm sure that there are times that you don't feel it. So what does this mean? And how is it practical in my battle against sin? in your battle against sin. As, as believers, 
Every one of us battle the sins of the flesh. Every day when we wake up in the morning, there's a battle being fought in the turf of our hearts. Will it be ruled by love for God or other gods? We could easily say, oh yes, it will be controlled totally by God. But the problem is that street level, there's a war of love going on in our hearts. Sometimes we lose the way. Love for things of this world still kidnap our hearts. We forget God and tell ourselves that we must have whatever it is. Love of God and for God competes with love for self. Our cravings for the love of others competes with the love for God. Material things and physical experiences command our affection. Yes, the battle still rages. I wish it wasn't true of me, but it is. Sometimes I want my comfort too much, and I can be irritable. Sometimes, and Chris would never know this, sometimes I want to be right, and I become argumentative. Sometimes I want the respect and the love of others. And so I allow their opinions to control me. Sometimes my heart is set on this particular something. And I, maybe I can't afford it and I figure out how I can cobble things together to get it because I feel deficient without it. Sometimes I value personal pleasure more than than I should, and I invest too much time in it. Sometimes, like last night, I enjoyed delicious food way too much. I ate so much last night, I had to stand up. I couldn't sit. You see, there are times that my heart battles with things and people as they seek to claim first place, a position that's only for God in my heart. You know, it's, it's not evil to, to want some of these things in themselves, the desire to be right, to be respected, to own possessions, to have some control in our lives, to experience pleasure, to eat delicious food. They're not inherently evil. We need to remember that Desiring a good thing can become a bad thing if it begins to control our lives. We're looking back as we go through this wonderful book of Colossians, chapter 1, we saw Jesus Christ, center stage, then the image of the invisible God, all things created by Him, for Him. He's the one who sustains the universe. Chapter 1, we also saw that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of the Son. And in Him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And as believers, we're sometimes surprised by these lingering desires that are sinful. I still remember when I became a believer some 38 years ago, I, I, I thought my flesh would get better. And do you sometimes? We want our flesh to get better. 
And if we look at the book of Colossians, these Colossians, they were facing the same struggles that you and I face daily. The Colossians were offered options, just like you and I are, options other than Jesus Christ. Or maybe options of Jesus Christ plus something else. They were offered visions by these false teachers or to worship angels or abstain from food and drink. And these regulations have an appearance of wisdom. But Paul says in chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 8 through 10, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Fullness was being offered to these Colossians through means other than Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds them, you've got Christ, you've got his fullness in you as a believer. Well, these last two chapters have just been filled, it seems like, over and over with the magnificent, magnificence of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us that, that in Christ, that fullness that we seek, that completeness that we seek, is in Him. He rules over all things and sustains the universe, and, he, and we are in Him. Well, to win this battle that you and I struggle with every day, we must understand our identity in Jesus Christ. We're reminded again of that union in verse 1. You've been raised up with Christ. If you remember in chapter 2, we were told in different ways that we have died with Christ. Remember, we were circumcised with Him. We talked about we were buried with Christ. We were raised up with Christ. Again, signifying that union that we have with Jesus Christ. And we see here that we're raised. But I want to kind of go back and think about this union that we have with Christ. And the fact that we, we died with Christ. And like this lady in this story earlier, you and I, we don't feel dead towards sin. We don't feel dead toward the things of the world. The truth is, when I... I'm tempted to sin, which is way too often. My flesh feels very much alive. And when you are tempted to sin, your flesh feels very much alive and very well. It's a strong desire within us, if we're honest, to indulge in sin. C.S. Lewis, I think, painted a picture of us so very well. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis, in the weight of glory. Well, I think a key and important part in all this as we think about our death in Christ is that we remember that in the Bible, in the scriptures throughout, it never means the end of existence. 
when you die or when I die, our body and soul separate, but the real you still lives on. So reality, death is a separation. And to be, be identified with Christ Jesus in his death means that I am separated from the power of flesh and from this evil world. And now a citizen of a new country, of heaven. And I don't have to obey the laws of this old country, this sinful world. We need to remember that everything that's offered on this earth compared to Christ is cheap <laughs> and no comparison to Jesus Christ. Tasteless. We've been united with Christ. He is the center of all things, and in him fullness dwells. So it's not a matter of feeling dead to sin, but it's a legal fact. We're one with Christ in his death. But more than that, we see again this morning, we have been raised up with Christ. We didn't remain in the grave. And because of our union with Christ, we're up. Colossians 3, 1 says, since or if, then you have been raised with Christ, just like being united with Christ in his death, being raised is not a matter of feeling, but a fact. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, if by faith we are in Christ, we are raised up with him. Verse 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. If I take this sheet of paper and put it in my Bible, it goes wherever my Bible goes. If I were, I would not do this, if I were to throw my Bible, the paper would go with it because it's in the Bible. If I were to drop it, it would fall down. If, if as I do sometimes, if I leave my Bible downstairs on one of those counters, that paper stays in the Bible until I go pick it up. You see, the paper is in the Bible. It is hidden in the Bible. In the same way as believers in Christ Jesus, we are totally identified. We are in Christ. And when he died, we died with him. When he raised, we raised up with him. Ephesians 2, a favorite passage of mine, we're dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, in his love and mercy, raised us up, made us alive in Christ, raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. Because of our union with Christ Jesus, we're seated with him in heaven. Christ being seated at the right hand of God, there are three things I think that we need to remember as we look at scripture. First is his supreme power. If you think back to the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, he, he, he prayed for them, he says, he prayed to God that they would be able to understand the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us who believe. 
the same power, he says, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand. And it goes on and talks about the fact that God the Father placed all things, all people, all powers under Christ. So when we think about Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father, us in him, there's that power that we have in Christ. Second is pardon, complete pardon. Hebrews 1, 3 says that when he had cleansed us from all our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the Father. And then third, compassionate prayers of Christ. Romans 8, 33 says that Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. We love when we're discouraged and lose hope. We love to have people to pray for us, whether our mom or dad or our brothers or sisters or best friends, and that's great. But they can't always be praying for us. But Christ is the right hand of God. He is interceding for you and for me. And he knows our needs far more than we do. So when we're battling temptation and wrestling with discouragement, remember that you're in Christ. You share in his death, in his burial, his resurrection. You're seated with him at the right hand of God the Father. For he has all the power. For you have full forgiveness of sins. And you have Christ's prayers. We win against sin by living in the light of our identity in the risen Christ Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it talks about the fact that God has given us everything that we need in order to live a godly life. Everything that we need in order to live godly life. Well, not only do we live in light of our new identity, we win the battle against sin when we have a new mentality. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I'll read it one more time. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you appear with him in glory. And I see two commands here. First, we're to seek things that are above, and secondly, we're to set our minds on things above. And both suggest a continual process. We're to seek things above. We seek God's word, his truth. Just as non-believers get up in the morning and they pursue material things, Christians should be devoted to things of Christ. I, I can't help but think, when I think about this, I think of, of medical school students or students who want to go into to a medical school. What do they do? They study. They make those grades in high school. Because they're focused on that. And then, and I, we all know from, from people that we know who have gone to med school, in med, in med school, they're studying their whole life, it seems like, is school and internships and residency and going through all these, everything, they're focused totally on school. 
In the same way, for you and I, we need to be focused on Christ Jesus, Him alone. That doesn't mean that we drop out of life. It doesn't mean that we go into a monastery. We need to be interacting with people. We need to be impacting those around us. We do that as we pursue the things that are above and not those things that perish. And secondly, it says that we're to set our minds on things above. And, and that statement says that we need to be thinking. We need to be thinking. Implies repeated choices, isn't it? Over and over. We need to view ourselves not as citizens of this world, but of heaven. The truest thing about you is what God says about you, not what you may feel. Think about it. The truest thing about you is what God says, not what you feel. It's funny, a few months ago, Chris and I took this 23andMe uh, test to see what our backgrounds were. And, and I, was, I grew up, and I was told that my grandmom was probably three-quarters Native American. And I've got brothers that are, always have these nice dark tans, and I say, my twin brother Roger, he, he got my, my, mom, my grandmom's Native American olive skin, and I got my dad's Irish white skin. And then I took the test, and all these things that I believed all these years. Uh, guess what? Guess how much Native American I am? Zero. Zero. I thought, I thought I was Native American. 99.7 European. Mostly Irish, Scots-Irish, and British. A little bit of other things thrown in there. You see, we think, we think we know who we are, but we don't. We don't. And we need to remember, in Christ Jesus, We're totally, totally different. Again, the truest thing about you is not what you think. It's what God's Word says. And how you think about yourself determines how you act. Isn't that true? I still remember when I came to Christ and, and, and coming out of the, the drugs and the alcohol and the party scene and all that stuff, I, there was a strong temptation to those things. And I had to say, no, no, no. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. You and I are no longer who we were if we are in Christ Jesus. And your thoughts and my thoughts determine to a large extent our emotions, which affect us tremendously. So a question for you to think about. When you're not busy, when you're not focused on something, work or whatever, what do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Think about it. Do you think about Christ? Do you think about making that extra buck? Do you think about what? Is Christ in your thoughts? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Years ago, a plastic surgeon noticed something interesting about people whom he had uh, operated on their faces. And for some, the, the operation resulted in immediate uh, and lasting changes in the personalities of these people. 
these people who have been embarrassed maybe because of disfigurement or scars or whatever, that, you know, they became very confident, very outgoing um, after the problem was, was fixed. But despite successful surgeries, there were those others who insisted that the surgery did nothing. And they got angry. The doctor took pictures before and after, and he showed them the difference. But guess what? They saw no change. And what did they do? They lived continually under that past view of who they were. Even though they had changed, their lives would not change because they didn't believe the truth about that change. As Christians, we've had far more than a facelift. Far more than a facelift. We have died to our old lives and we have been raised up to a new life in Christ Jesus and all that is true of the risen Savior is now true of us. And we must now continually keep seeking and setting our minds on things above for our true life identity is hidden with Christ in God. And as we live in our new identity in Christ, we'll win that battle. And practically, how do you and how do I set our minds on things above? For me, when I get up in the morning, it's real easy. If I'm not running here and there, it's easy for me to where I go to? Computer, check out the news, see what happened. When I get home, it's easy to turn on the TV and watch the news. Right? Isn't it for all of us? We need to discipline ourselves to study God's Word and to focus on Him. In the mornings, when I wake up, when the alarm goes off, at, it says 5.15, but it's probably 5.05. And I'll say, Chris, I don't want to get up and run. And I'll lie there. Sometimes the second alarm goes off. <laughs> Usually I kick myself out and I go run. In the same way as we study God's Word, right? Sometimes we don't want to get into God's Word. It's just easier just to go on, but we need to be disciplined. How can you change your life? What habits need to be changed in order to overcome and to win that battle against sin? Well, after stressing the importance of our union with Jesus Christ, Paul then applies our union with Christ in verses um, 6 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Paul's saying here, 
Remember who you are. Ralph, that's not you. Remember who you are. These sins don't belong in your life. You put off the flesh. Remember. Paul then gives us two lists of sins. One related to sex. One related to anger. And the two lists are these classic ways that Christians can be untrue to themselves and to God. It's easy for us in it to, to kind of gloss over or excuse our sins. Maybe understate what they are. But Paul sets a standard for both the Colossians and for us. I think too often we Christians focus on one list or another. And, and, and think about it. There's a, there's a group sometimes of, of, of believers and in the slightest hint of sexual indiscretion, they're all up. But at the same time, they're backbiting, they're gossiping, and they're doing all these things that they just kind of overlook. On the other hand, there's this other group. They so much want to live in harmony and peace with one another that they let sexual sin go on. Corinthians, do you remember Corinthians chapter 5 or 6 where the man was having sex with his father's wife? You see, it's easy to focus on one and not on the other. For the gospel leaves no room for behavior of either. But since we're united with Christ, we're to put off these sins. First, sexual sin, sexual immorality. That's a broad term that, that involves any sexual activity outside of, of heterosexual marriage. <laughs> it includes um, sex between unmarried partners, adultery, homosexuality, child molestation, bestiality, impurity. Second word is similar to sexual immorality, but it includes the thoughts. It includes the thoughts as well as the deeds. It reminds us that sexual sin defiles us, that affects our character, who we are. Third and fourth words, passion, some verses, some versions would say lust. Lust and evil desire are similar. Both focus on that strong emotional lure of sexual sin. And, it, and they kind of indicate this uncontrolled sexual urge. And if you think about it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul was talking with the Corinthians, he talked about marriage and he said, some of you need to get married because it's better to marry than to burn. Okay? That's, that's what we're talking about here. Burning. These words um, show that these feelings are not easy to deal with. They're powerful. And yet, when we're going through it, we're not in a calm state. We're not in a, in a relaxed mindset. The truth is, is if we don't control them, they will enslave us and consume us. Well, behind all these sins, next is covetousness. Greed is a word that we would probably think about. In the text, context here, it, it, it could be referring to any kind of greed, but the context here is sexual sins, and, it, and it's referring to any kind of uh, the, the hunger for unchecked sexual pleasure. And Paul boldly unmasked this greed. He says it's idolatry. It's 
idolatry. Why? Because we're putting ourselves, right, in the place of God. All sexual immorality has greed as its motive. It's based on personal gratification and not on an enduring commitment of love to one another and to the other person's good. We see the consequences of these sins in verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Again, we in our church today, we, we don't like to talk about hell. We want to talk about God's love. But the Bible is filled with passages on hell and judgment, and Christ himself mentions it. The Bible often connects God's judgment with sexual sin and, and with greed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that judgment on them, but don't stop there, because there's hope. There's hope for us. The hope is behind the command. God can deliver us, any of us who is enslaved to lust and to greed, verses 11 and 12 follow after that. And it says, and such were some of you. Think about it. There's this judgment on all these different sins, and yet, and such were some of you. And yet, you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful! As I read about our culture, all around us, there's this, this thing with, not just with, with sexual immorality, but, but pornography. And pornography used to be, be a man's sin, but now it is spread in the younger generation. It is everywhere. And if anyone is familiar with, it, with that at all in counseling, it is a very difficult thing to come out of. And yet, we are able to. Because Christ, Paul says here, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. And again, does that mean that all of a sudden, once we're in Christ, that we're, we're free? No, it's a battle. You see, we don't have to give in. When we're tempted, we don't have to give in. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. We have His power to resist. Well, the second list comes up after this whole thing with, with, with sex. All sins related to anger. And this is something that, it's, a, it's an ugly list, isn't it? You know what? It's a list that, if we're honest, most of us, some of us more so than others, we all struggle with anger. Anger and wrath are often used synonymously. Anger is that continuous state of smoldering and seething hatred. 
and wrath, or that, or sometimes translated rage, um, is the stage where this anger breaks out. And it actually means to boil, to boil. Third is malice, is having to end for someone. And the overtone here is evil is intended to hurt. Fourth word here, slander, is tearing down someone's reputation, making them look bad and yourself look good. Speech that puts this malice into effect. Next word, obscene talk. NIV says filthy language, dirty talk. Pretty clear there. Then deception. Paul says, do not lie to one another. Paul urges us as believers to live a life of truth. Of course, lying is, has many different um, reasons for that. Maybe out of pride, maybe we're trying to cover up things or whatever. But um, we're constantly tempted, aren't we, to blend the truth in? to cover up an embarrassing situation. You see, deceit undermines community and it causes anger. We've been told to, to put off all these things. We're, why? What's the motivation? Verses 10 and 11. You have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Though it may, again, may not feel like it, we become a new people. We become a new people. I remember when I came to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 was a passage I put up on the wall. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new is come. We are to put aside, put off that camaraderie we had that would lead us toward sin with others. We are to take off that old humanity and put on the new. As we come to Christ, and as I came to Christ and put up that, that verse on my walls, I, I wish that because I was a new creation in Christ Jesus, uh, you know, I wish that all those temptations and struggles were just out of the way. But they weren't. They were still there. But over the years, Christ is changing me just as he is changing you. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. We've been changed. Second Corinthians 4, 16, the New Living Translation says, That is why we never give up, though our bodies are dying, wasting away. Our spirits are being renewed every day. We don't give up. Why? Because even though on the outside, we're wasting away inside. The real you and me is being renewed. C.S. Lewis had another quote that I'd love that goes along so well with this. And he says, it's a serious thing to live in 
a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature, if you saw it now, you'd want to strongly want to worship, or else the horror and corruption is such that you were to meet now would only be in a nightmare. Do you see the distinction? We live, we work among people, and sometimes if we could see who we're interacting with, we'd want to worship them because Christ has been in their lives changing them. Now, on the other hand, some of these people we interact with, they may look, they may be the most beautiful and handsome, good-looking people, and yet you saw them, there's that horror. What he goes on, C.S. Lewis does, and he says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It's in light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all our loves, all our play, all our politics. And he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and culture and art and civilizations, these are mortal, and their lives are like <clears throat> the life of a gnat to us. But it's immortals that we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. We've become a new creation where are new people. Therefore, we should put aside the sin. Well, secondly, those verses say that we've become a new community. We have new relationships with people. Here, there's no, not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You see here that being in Christ, we become a part of community, and our union with Christ removes all barriers, racial, no longer Greek or Jew, religious, circumcised, uncircumcised, cultural, barbarian, Scythian, social, economic, slave, free. These, all these distinctions that we had before Christ Paul declares irrelevant in Christ. This isn't to say that there aren't differences in us. Just as Paul doesn't mention here, but in a similar passage in uh, Galatians, uh, I think chapter 3, he, he, he mentions we're no longer male and female. But yet we're, we're still there with, with who we are. But it's to say that these differences in background, in nationality, in our color, and our language, our social standing should be, should be regarded as irrelevant as to who we are. And when one looks, one should see Christ as creator. And when we look at the body of Christ especially, when we see an elder person who's ignored, Christ is ignored. Sometimes we see these lively kids or teenagers running around and they're snubbed. Christ 
is ignored. I know how to say this, and I know the politically correct way to say this would be people of color, and we don't have that because we are very much a people of color here, but say in a suburb, when people of color come in that church, that should not make a difference. And here, if a white person were to walk in, it shouldn't be any more unwelcome than a Puerto Rican, right, or a Mexican American. You see, in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. We're in Christ. We're new creation. We're new community. There must be mutual welcome and respect for all people of God. And nobody must allow prejudices from their pre-Christian days to distort the new humanity that God has created and through whom we've become a new man. And if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with those things in different ways, different times. I found myself sometimes going home, having lived here, and I go home to all white community, and I feel out of place. And I can look down on that. But you see, the body of Christ is where the body of Christ is. And we're blessed. We're blessed. Well, this passage, we see a strong portrayal of, portrayal of the unity of the body of Christ. And we see also the diversity. Unity and diversity. We don't need to make, try to make someone become something else. They're who they are. I often hear people when I give illustrations. Uh, where my illustrations come from? I was raised in Alabama. I'm a southerner for so many years. And, and part of that, you know, I think Aaron gave me a hard time. Ralph, you always use illustrations about the South and about farming. Well, I grew up on a farm. Now, I've lived here for 35 years, and Chicago is home, and it's very much a part of my life. But you know what? My background of living on a farm in Alabama is still very much a part of who I am. And you, if you're raised in Puerto Rico, that's who you are. That's part of your life. And I could go down the list, different ones. We see, we come into the body of Christ and we bring who we are. And we're special because God created us. He created us. And we're one in Christ. And Satan wants to divide. He wants to destroy. God wants to use this diversity to reach the world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus, we are one. In Christ Jesus, Father, you have changed our lives forever. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we died, we were circumcised, we were buried, we were raised, and we sit at the right hand of God, Father, in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father.